0: Um, we sang a song just now ab- about the Word of God, and um, it's powerful. It testifies about itself, that it's alive by the Holy Spirit, and that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, and goes through the bone to the marrow to get to the, to the very depth, all depth of, of the matter. And so it is good for us to be in God's Word today. We're going to continue in our sermon series, Winning, Over worry. Winning over worry. I don't know about you, but some people have uh, determined that 2020, in addition to everything that life regularly throws at you, has thrown some unusual stuff. So we're going to continue today. Uh, We're uh, taking a second look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. Uh, More today. On the church isn't finished. The church isn't finished ever. And the church isn't finished today. So we have hope as a church community. We continue today to address some of the valid concerns and fears even that we're all facing in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, however serious it is or isn't, it has definitely changed our life and given us things to be concerned about. So the question, what hope do we have as Desert Hills Community Church to fulfill our mission of building God's kingdom on earth by leading others to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Community is hard to have in isolation, and to some extent or another, we have all um, been isolated, uh, either by our choice and or somebody else's choice, more than probably ever in our lives, right? And... um, communities hard to have in isolation? How are we lifting up our members of this church and our community at a time when it's needed most? And what will the future of Desert Hills look like after COVID-19? These are legitimate questions, and I think they're godly concerns. We should be considering them. And then, and then beyond just our fellowship, our congregation, on a grander scale, what about the universal church? The universal church is comprised of all the believers in Jesus Christ all around the world. Um, the source of our hope can be found in God's Word. In today's passage, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, and I'll read that now. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That's an interesting end to that passage. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll pick up today at looking at Jesus' response to how Peter and his disciples answered the question, Who do you say I am? So we covered some of this last week. If you missed that, you can find a link to that on, on the church's Facebook page. And you can find it on our channel on YouTube. And there's an audio podcast on Apple Podcasts as well that you can listen to it there. So if you need to go back and listen to that and then listen to this again, um, there's the ways that you can do that. So um, we're picking up where Jesus responds to how Peter and the disciples answered the question, who do you say I am? So let's read that part again. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 17. That he was the Messiah. So how Jesus builds his church. How does he build his church? How does Jesus build his church? Let's take an example from the church in Philippi. That's mentioned in the New Testament. It's quite possibly the most healthy. We could say best church. That's described in the New Testament. How did Jesus build his church in Philippi? Check this out. How did Jesus build his church in Philippi? With a businesswoman a demonized slave girl and a pagan jailer uh, just think about that for a minute let that sink in <laughs> it sounds like the plot of a new netflix series uh, it's preposterous who would who would choose that what human would choose that Um, But it was real. The conversion of these three individuals are found in Acts chapter 16. It says there, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's words. That's in Acts 16 verse 14. And then Paul commanded the demon to come out of the slave girl. That's in Acts 16 verse 18. And then finally, after Paul and Silas were jailed there... God decided to open the cell doors with an earthquake and convert the jailer and his family. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. In all three accounts, Paul was Jesus' instrument. Jesus built his church in Philippi, and he'll build it in Gooding County. If he can build possibly the greatest New Testament church with a businesswoman, a demonized slave girl, and a pagan jailer, Jesus can continue to build a great church in and through us. Um, sometimes he uses what we would think beforehand were the least likely people. 400 years ago or so, the King James Version translated this phrase in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 as the gates of hell. And consequently, um, many Christians have assumed that Jesus is saying that Satan and the hordes of hell will not be victorious over the church. First of all, that's certainly true. Christ is triumphant. Christus victor. Christ is victorious. There is none like Him. There is none equal to Him. There is none ultimately that can challenge Him. There is none that can defeat Him. He will be victorious. So that is true. Um, But that's not what Jesus is saying here. The... Interpretation: The gates of Hades here in the New International Version is a correct interpretation of that phrase. It's a reference to death. Hades is the equivalent of the Old Testament word sheol, which means simply the grave. A Jewish person in Jesus' time would have understood this expression as a reference to physical death, since Hades was viewed as a place where one went at death. The phrase the gates of death was commonly used in the Old Testament time, Um, it's also interesting that outside of the Jewish faith in the Old Testament time, in Greek mythology, there was a character whose name was Hades. He was believed to be the god of the underworld. Specifically, he was the god of the realm of the dead um, for for the Greek pagan beliefs. Jesus is saying here, death will not overpower the church. The church will prevail, even though its members may be killed by their enemies, or maybe their members lose their lives to something like COVID-19. Um, all that has happened. All that is happening today. The the level of persecution in Africa that never seems to make it into the American mainstream media is savage and appalling and shocking. In Nigeria, virtually on a daily basis, villages are, are attacked sometimes during um, worship services. Um, Women and children are hauled away, never to be seen again. Men are killed. Um, It's horrible what's going on. Yet the church thrives. Um, We must always remember that the church is God's idea and he is in control. Uh, But why does Jesus say this? Because he knew something his disciples didn't know. As it turns out, Jesus knows more than we do. How about that? Um, that would be one good reason to follow him as Savior and serve him as Lord, right? Um, let's drop down three verses to Matthew chapter sixteen, verse twenty-one, where Jesus says, where it says, "From that time on, Jesus began to explain." to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed there and on the third day raised to life. Now to us, that's old news. We've read it a thousand times in the New Testament, right? But to the disciples that day, that was the first time they'd heard about it. That was not the cultural um, expectation Of the Messiah when he came, that they had at that time. That's not what they'd been taught at synagogue. That's not what they believed at home. And Jesus, so Jesus is telling them something that's absolutely earth shattering and shocking to them that day. Um, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, was going to die. Now, let's connect Matthew 16, verse 18, and verse with verse 21. When Jesus said the power of death will never overpower his church, he said it because he knew that when he arose from the dead, and he did rise from the dead, he broke open the gates of Hades. That's why Jesus said later in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death in Hades. Praise God. Um, That's an earth-shattering, shocking thing that never happened before. No one's ever done it like that since him. Um, He's absolutely unique in that. And so, imagine being there that day in Caesarea Philippi with Peter and the other apostles and trying to wrap your mind around what Jesus just said. Wow. Wow. Um, how do you get the keys of Hades? Jesus promised that we'd have them. Um, he broke the gate wide open. You die, and then you come back from the dead. And that's why the gates of Hades, death itself, can never overpower the church, because Jesus Christ has died and come back from the dead, and He holds in His hand the keys to the gates of Hades. Praise God. Nothing can destroy the church. Here's a powerful quote from J.C. Riley. J.C. Riley ministered in the 1800s. He was in Liverpool, England and he was that area's first evangelical oriented Anglican bishop. He was a prolific writer during his time. Take these words to heart that he wrote back then. Nothing can altogether overthrow, overthrow and destroy the church. Its members may be persecuted, oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, burned, but the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its inflict, afflictions. It lives on through fire and water. When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The Pharaohs, the Herods, the Nero's have labored in vain to put down this church. They slay their thousands and then pass away and go to their own place. The true church outlives them all and sees them buried, each in his turn. The church is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world and will break many a hammer still. The church is a bush which is often burning and yet is not consumed. What a power! Powerful and reassuring words from J.C. Riley. Indeed, the church is God's idea and it will stand the test of time. In Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity, he explores how the historical growth of what he calls the obscure marginal Jesus movement occurred. Have you ever wondered how? Christianity went from an obscure and marginal movement to around 6 million believers by 300 A.D. That's quite a journey. Stark argues that plagues were a huge factor. Plagues were a huge factor in the growth of the church in the first few hundred years. The plague of Cyprian lasted nearly 20 years from approximately 250 A.D. to 270 A.D. And at its height reportedly killed as many as 5,000 people per day in Rome. Yet the Church of Jesus Christ loved people and laid down their lives so others could live both physically and spiritually. The early church was no stranger to plagues and epidemics and mass hysteria, all of which we've (laughs) experienced in this awesome year we call 2020. In fact, according to, To both Christian and non-Christian accounts from the time, one of the main catalysts for the church explosive growth in its early years was how Christians navigated disease, suffering, and death. Later on in the 14th century, what came to be called the Black Death haunted Europe. Now think about this. In just five years, it wiped out as much as half the population of Europe with urban areas particularly affected. Outbreaks continued recurring in the following centuries, including the plague that struck Wittenberg, Germany, where Martin and Katie Luther lived. The Luthers had the opportunity to leave the city, an opportunity which some of Martin's colleagues gladly accepted, yet Martin Luther and Katie Luther chose to stay and serve the church and the sick and the dying Luther wrote a defense of his decision in a letter later published with the title, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. In 1918, uh, what came to be called, probably erroneously, the Spanish flu, created a serious danger to our country here in the United States. In Washington, D.C., in response to government appeals to limit public gatherings, many churches suspended their services. Some Christians resisted and grumbled about the idea. Again, that sounds a little familiar in <laughs> 2020. In the end, however, churches not only survived, but looked back with gladness on the difficult decisions they made to close their doors for the sake of health and safety during a health crisis. So there's more than one way to navigate something like this, and we should extend grace both to those who agree with our perspective and those who do not. What is God doing in the church through COVID 19? Um, God is using COVID 19, I believe, to further the Great Commission. Christians are living out their faith and sharing Christ. Some of Jesus' most famous teachings are being implemented, like his words, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, like his words, Love your neighbors as yourself. Like his words, greater love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. God is giving many believers a renewed enthusiasm for being in person with God's people in the future. There's a renewed enthusiasm and appreciation for how important and the magnitude of the blessing and privilege it is to gather together to worship God. In, in Jesus' name. God is using technology to advance His purposes in the world we've made technological changes and implemented you know the live stream the the recording that can be found through a link on Facebook that can be found on a channel on YouTube that can be listened to on an apple podcast we've implemented all of that since the start of this and and more people are listening to this service and the services that we uh, that we offer to worship Jesus Christ on Sundays than Anywhere I've ever pastored. And almost all of them. Are online now. Um, and. My hope and prayer. Is that they find their way. To a local church. In their local area. Whether it be here. Or wherever they happen to live. And find. Themselves in fellowship. Personally with the people of that church. Um, but, but there's a scope. And a. In a outreach to to this ministry that I've never experienced before. And I think I speak for virtually every single pastor. Um, certainly everyone that I've talked to is experiencing the same thing. So, God is using technology to advance His purposes in the world. But let's never grow content with technology. Virtual church is no substitute for body life here Together. We were created for personal relationship. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, created us not to be in isolation but to be in community. And God is giving us perspective on trials since we know He's working through this for eternal good. Praise His name. We can trust that sickness and death do not have the final say because Jesus defeated them both when he rose from the grave. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus continues His conversation with Peter and the disciples by declaring, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the promise in verse 19 here is you singular. Peter speaking Jesus speaking directly to Peter. But Jesus repeats that same promise again a couple chapters later. Matthew chapter 18 verse 18 is you plural. And so he promises the same thing there to all his followers. In order to understand this statement in reference to keys of the kingdom, we should ask, what is a key? Well, a key is a mechanism for unlocking and locking a door, right? Whoever holds a key has the authority to open and close. To loose means to open something. To bind is to close it. And the verb, we need to understand the verbs are written in this passage in the future perfect passive tense. And I, you know, if you don't learn all the tenses of the verbs, I don't blame you, you know. Um, But to understand the original language correctly, we need to know that... um, it was written in the future perfect passive tense. Now, my favorite version, the version I use almost every Sunday morning, is the New International Version. And, and um, my wife's favorite version is the New Living Translation. We have people who their favorite version is the King James Version. Um, so, the, the, like the New International Version, oh, I'm, supposed to not, I'm supposed to not move. The New International Version and the New Living Translation are what are known as a, more of a thought-by-thought translation, trying to accurately and completely translate the ancient language into modern English. The New American Standard Version is more of a word-for-word literal translation. And the reason that, that um, sometimes the thought-for-thought version is a little easier to read because it expresses it in a thought that makes sense to the modern English speaking mind. The the word for word translation it can be more wordy and a little more clunky sometimes but it's but it's translating each individual word as completely as it can. So that makes it a little less easily readable sometimes but if if you're ever going to look at more than one version and you do the do the thought by thought version like the NIV or the NLT um, match it up with the New American Standard Version. The initials are NASB, because that's a word for word. And so you'll see, you'll see some things there that will help bring out the full meaning and, and help you um, understand what the uh, passage actually says. So the, the New American Standard Bible actually translates what Jesus is saying as um, what you bind on earth will have been Bound. And what you loose on earth will have been loosed. Okay, And that's important um, because if Matthew had said here in the gospel, um, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, that would mean that Peter would be setting policy in heaven, right? Like heaven would hear, well, Peter said this, so now we've got to respond and, and bind it. Or Peter said this, and so now we've got to respond and loose it. Um, that's not how we should understand this according to the tense of the verb in the original language, okay? Um, The future perfect passive tense means that Peter is just discerning, understanding, and responding to what God has already done in heaven. In other words, we're doing the binding and loosing in response to God's will, okay? Not on our own whim. Uh, we're like the judicial branch of the U.S. government, if this helps. The branch of government neither creates nor enforces laws. It interprets uh, if and how various laws apply in specific circumstances. God has given us the authority and the responsibility to do His will. It's a job we must take seriously. We, therefore, must take the initiative to bring as many people as we can into the church. Um, Jesus is saying... I'm going to give you the keys. This means He gives you, us, His authority. The keys of the kingdom of heaven are a reference to the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves, and that faith in Him is the only way to be forgiven of your sins, made right with the Father, and welcomed into heaven. Um, Whenever you offer the gospel to another person, you're opening the door of heaven to them. Think about it that If a person goes through that door, he or she is saved. If a person refuses the open door, he or she has closed the door of heaven on themselves. You've opened it and he or she has closed it closed it. Jesus will build his church. You can choose today to be a part of it. so share your faith, every chance you get, create opportunities. To be able to share your faith. Matthew concludes this account. By stating in. Chapter 16 verse 20. uh, Speaking of Jesus. Matthew says there. Then he ordered his disciples. Not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Hmm. Um, Sadly some Christians are tempted to view this verse as binding for us today. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is merely saying to his 12 disciples on that day in Caesarea Philippi that it was the wrong time and the wrong place to proclaim him because he came to die at a particular time and place. And it wasn't then and there yet. If Jesus allowed his disciples to announce in Caesarea Philippi a place um, that was devoted to pagan worship and emperor worship of the Caesar in Rome, Um, he would have been immediately arrested. Yet Jesus knew it wasn't time yet. He wanted to be arrested during Passover week, which was the prophesied timing. Furthermore, Jesus was prophesied to die in Jerusalem with the rest of the prophets. He wanted to die there in Jerusalem. He was determined to fulfill the time and place that would be the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, who, that has a book in the Old Testament, had even prophesied the very day that Jesus would enter Jerusalem. And guess what? Jesus fulfilled that very day. In, in a short time, probably within six months from this moment, when he's talking to his disciples there at Caesarea Philippi. Within six months from that moment... The time would arrive when Jesus would be charged in Jerusalem under oath before the high priest who said to him, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus would himself acknowledge, yes, it is as you say. You can find that in Matthew chapter 26 verses 63 and 64. And another reference to it in Matthew 27 verse 11. Although this episode concludes with Jesus instructing his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ, today he commands you and me to do that, to proclaim to all creation that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. How do we do this? First, we share the good news of salvation by faith in Jesus with those we know. The simplest way of doing this is sharing how Jesus has changed your life. Um, no one can argue with your personal experience, right? We must be tolerant and accepting, right? So tell them your personal experience as a follower of Jesus and how he saved you. When you've exhausted all opportunities to share with people you know, look for other open doors, create opportunities, pursue opportunities to share your faith. Second, be the church. As important as it is to invite people to watch church online, We must bring the love of Christ to people and be willing to pour into them. Right now, we can't rely on buildings and programs like we have in the past. We can't. Um, It's now that we can truly be the church outside of these doors in our personal lives and the way in which we live, the things that we say, the choices that we make and the attitudes that we display and the opportunities that we pursue to share our faith in Jesus Christ. The church is God's idea. And and I'm going to call up the Wambalance here for a minute to to try to make a personal point that applies to the church. Um, For several years, I've had chronic pain in my back. My pain stems from several injuries that occurred decades ago. Nevertheless, I've been seeking ways to improve my condition. I've had surgery, and I stick to an exercise regimen that benefits my back. Um, It allows me to accomplish as much as I physically can, which I can tell you um, is much less than it was when I was decades younger. (laughs) It's humblingly less. Um, We don't use humblingly often, but it's humblingly less than it was decades ago. Um, I'm blessed to tell you that I need you. There are things I can't do, you know. Um, it impacts my family. It impacts this church. So um, there goes the wambalance. Um, as a church, there are people that not all of us can reach, but one of us or some of us can. There are ministries that not all of us can accomplish, but one of us or some of us can. We desperately need one another. And we desperately need to use what we can do and what we can accomplish in the ministry of this church. And then, and then together, we can do all the things that God is calling us to do. We desperately need one another today. The church is God's idea. May what our Lord has raised up continue to march on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you glory and honor and praise. We thank you, Jesus, for your great salvation. We thank you that you have destroyed death and that you have the keys to death and Hades because you did die and you rose from the dead. You are victorious and have conquered it completely, utterly permanently. Thank you, Jesus. We follow you, our Savior and our Lord. We thank you, Father, that the church is your idea. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit to give us the courage and the determination to be involved in the ministry of this church and to spread the good news that Jesus saves and to do the things that we can do to be involved in all the activities that need to occur so that we continue to fulfill your will as Desert Hills Community, the church. Community Church of Nazarene, we love you, Jesus. And we're so thankful that we get to be a part of what you're about in this world. What an honor and blessing you have bestowed upon us. We love you and we praise you in your precious name. Amen. God bless you. I love you.